You're listening to Love Talk Live with the relationship expert, Jamie Bronstein, only on L.A. Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Love Talk Live. I'm your host, Jamie Brownstein, and today I have with me Dr. Greg Hammer. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Jamie. Great to be with you. Thanks for doing the show. Um, we have so much to talk about. I'm going to give you guys a little introduction on what we're going to be talking about and then a little intro on Dr. Hammer. Then we're going to get into some great topics. And by the way, we did not plan out our outfits, but it looks like we did. And actually, Dr. Hammer did not even realize it was video as well until just now. <laughs> but you look great. Okay, so we're going to be talking about how to avoid burnout when work and home are one. Millions of people have transitioned to remote work, and the new reality has blurred the lines between our personal and professional lives, leaving many employees struggling to set healthy boundaries. In the face of spiraling rates of burnout amongst physicians and other healthcare professionals, Dr. Greg Hammer created GAIN, G-A-I-N, a four-step proven path to personal resilience and happiness. He describes the GAIN method, an acronym for gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment, and offers remedial therapies for burnout in his new book, Gain Without Pain, the happiness handbook for healthcare professionals. Okay, so... A little bit about Greg Hammer, Dr. Greg. He is a pediatric intensive care physician, pediatric anesthesiologist, professor at Stanford University Medical Center, and number one best-selling author, a member of the Stanford Well MD Initiative and the Wellness Committee for the American Society of Anesthesiologists. Dr. Hammer is currently the chair of the Physician Wellness Task Force for the California Society of Anesthesiologists. He has been a visiting professor and lecturer on wellness at institutions worldwide and teaches GAIN to medical students, residents, and fellows at Stanford. So welcome, Dr. Hammer. Thank you again. So happy to have you. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about how you, um, what brought you to putting this GAIN together? Sure. I have really been a, a fitness enthusiast for my entire life, physical fitness, uh, nutrition. I, I have a degree in nutritional science and uh, have been uh, very interested in wellness in general, in every sense of the word, spiritual wellness included, and uh, been kind of a seeker my whole life. And I would say about 10 years ago, I started having an epiphany that all the searching I was doing uh, wasn't really necessary. There's really nothing for which to look. Uh, happiness is our true nature, and all we have to do is kind of sink into our hearts, and and we can find that happiness. So, um, meanwhile, burnout has become uh, a, a very sizable problem among healthcare practitioners. Um, the the drivers and costs are interesting and um, the costs are fairly substantial. So we uh, started a WellMD program at Stanford several years ago, and I joined that and uh, began giving talks. And, and one thing led to another. I was invited around the world to give lectures on physician wellness. Then I had some sabbatical time. So I thought, what am I going to do? I have a lab that I need to keep going, and I wasn't going to go anywhere. And I just decided to write a book to get the message out. And I think it's helpful to have acronyms uh, as long as we don't overdo it. We have so many acronyms in medicine. You know, when we make rounds in the intensive care unit, 
I, you know, we have a lot of visitors in our unit at, at the Packard Children's Hospital at Stanford, and I kind of feel bad for them because, especially if English is not their first language, we have so many acronyms that I don't know how they understand anything that we're saying. We hardly ever speak in real English. So this idea of uh, gratitude, acceptance, intention, non-judgment just kind of came to me, and I thought four letters was about right. Uh, you know, I studied Buddhism as an undergrad, and I never could really remember the 10 ways of this or the 12 steps to that. So mm. four I can deal with. So that's sort of a, a quick intro to how, how the whole gain perspective uh, began. Well, just to backtrack a tiny bit, I love that you, one of the first things that you said was that happiness is not an outside job it's an inside job and it's nothing to gain it's already within us and i teach that as well you know it's about um getting past anything that is preventing you right from accessing what's inside so how do you how do you recommend how do you specifically recommend getting past those barriers to access your happiness well, you know, it's interesting that uh, that's a central part of your your teaching and practice as well. I think there are certain principles in in life as we know it that are really transcendent. And that's why I think these core ideas are really part of almost every philosophy and, and helpful way of, of learning about ourselves and how to find happiness. I think that gratitude, for example, is essential. Um, you know, you can be deaf and happy, you can be blind and happy, you can be poor and happy, but you really will never see somebody who's not grateful and happy. So gratitude is clearly central. And I feel the same way about the other elements of gain, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. So uh, I work a lot with medical students, residents, and fellows. And I ask them, you know, about wellness and, and what is their wellness practice because they have a difficult life and um, many of them get burnt out and depressed and so on. And so in trying to work with them, I ask them what they do to augment their wellness. When do they feel most connected to their true nature? And they often say, well, I love doing yoga or I love cycling or whatever, but I just don't have time. So I thought, well, I think the best way to start out the day is meditation. And maybe I can come up with a three minute meditation and nobody can tell me they don't have three minutes. Mm -hmm. So we attend to that and set our intention the night before. We set our alarm three minutes earlier than we might have otherwise. Nobody can say that that three minutes of sleep is gonna be noticeable or missing that three minutes of sleep. And then in the morning, we get up, we, we do our hygiene thing, we open the, the curtains or drapes or what have you, let, let the light in if there is light outside. And then we simply find a comfortable place to sit. And so there's a three minute gain meditation that's described uh, in the book after I describe all the elements. And you know, it's getting in touch with the breath, slowing it down, you know, maybe breathing to, uh, count of three on the inspiration, pausing for a count of three, and then effortlessly just letting the breath go to a count of four and getting into that rhythm and then going through a contemplative process of our gratitude, 
acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. And then setting our intention for the day. And in the beginning, baby steps, that's how we learn. Mm -hmm. But we have to do it on a daily basis. So in the beginning, just we pick one thing that we're going to emphasize that day. So let's say we pick non-judgment. So we might say simply that the first person we see who begins to annoy us, let's say we're driving to work and somebody changes lanes in front of us without using their turn signal, although I'm, I'm sure that none of us have experienced that or we yeah. wouldn't do it ourselves, that we start to get aggravated but catch ourselves and recognize that we're making a judgment about the other person and letting go of that judgment. So the barriers to happiness, as you were asking, really are all about kind of grasping things that are not conducive to our wellness. And if we recognize that we're doing this, we simply determine to let go of that thing we're holding on to. And it's not difficult. It, it takes practice, just like exercising any muscle. If we're going to run a marathon, we decide to do that. That's our intention. We certainly aren't going to decide to do it one day and run a marathon the next day. It takes training. It takes intention. It takes a regular practice. So the game practice is very easy, though. It doesn't really take a lot of effort. It simply takes a commitment that, you know, one ha wants to be happier. Quite simple. And doesn't everybody want to be happier? Um, so in terms of, yeah, it's practicing. You know, if somebody is so used to judging constantly, and this also, I'm sure you work with your patients or your, your the students, the other doctors, with self-judgment catching those the critical self-judgment and the negative narratives that are running through their minds and until you're aware of it it's just going to keep on that ego is going to keep on running its its mouth and it's it's not the truth whatever comes out of the ego's mouth <laughs> right well i think jamie is and again this is sort of universal stuff and i'm sure that you're uh you incorporate these elements in your practice as well but couple of important things to recognize. Uh, let's boil it down to two important things that relate to what you just said. The first is that we have a negativity bias. So we tend to remember negative things and we forget about all the good things. So we have to recognize that. So when we find ourselves kind of stuck in this negative way of thinking, we recognize it. a light bulb goes off and or goes on and we let go of that negativity. So we have a negativity bias and that clouds our thinking in general. And the second thing is that we tend to be obsessed with thoughts of the past and the future. And happiness really resides in the present moment. Mm. If we think about the times when we're happiest, it's when we're present and we've totally forgotten about the past and the future. If we're walking through a forest, we're surrounded by redwoods and just the majesty and intense beauty that is so resonant as we're walking. We're not thinking about what happened yesterday or the list of things I have to do tomorrow in general. I mean, unless we're very, um, you know, obsessive. Uh, yeah. When we're with uh, a partner, we're having an intimate moment with a partner. We're not thinking about the past or the future. And that's the beauty of connecting with somebody. That's what love is. It's 
really sharing the present experience with another person. So why is it that we're so obsessed with the past and the future? I mean, this could be a topic for a whole show in and of itself. I think there are perhaps teleologic or um, evolutionary reasons why we're preoccupied with what's going to happen next. I mean, maybe at some point we may have had a saber-toothed tiger lurking at the mouth right. of a cave. But we, most of us don't have those constant threats now. So we need to unlearn in a way um, and, and learn to be more present. And so um, we need to recognize that when we're obsessed with the past, we may be having maladaptive thoughts. It may be adaptive to learn from our mistakes and to treasure our, our beautiful memories. But beyond that, it's maladaptive really to be obsessing over the past. And similarly with the future, it's, it's adaptive to plan to put bread on the table and, and to plan on having wonderful times with our loved ones. But beyond that, it's usually an obsession and it leads to fear and anxiety. So I think it's recognition of these patterns of thinking with the negativity bias that we have and these obsessions with past and future. Once we recognize that, we can realize what we're doing and just let go of those negativistic thoughts. I like that you're pointing out that there actually are adaptive things like maybe that being in the past and the future, there are certain aspects of it that are helpful. But then beyond that, everything else is depression and anxiety. Uh, I thought this was really interesting. was not planning on saying this, but um, literally today I was, I had given my little five-year-old son Noah a timeout and um, I asked him what he learned from it. And he told me what he learned from it. He needs to listen better. Um, and I said, you know, you need to learn these things so you can do, do better in the future. And he goes, what's the future? <laughs> Beautiful. And um, we, we have had this discussion before because we've talked about, I try to teach him about being present. I was like, well, remember we talked about being present, you know, this is what's happening now. And then there's the past, what already happened. And then the future, what will happen. And I was just thinking, oh, wouldn't it be wonderful if all adults didn't know what the future was? Or the past, like children just, they're in the moment. Yes. Well, you know, when we see a newborn or a young infant, they seem rather blissed out. And I'm sure that a newborn is not, I don't really know what they're thinking, but I have a feeling it's not what happened 20 minutes ago when they were in the uterus. And it's not what's going to happen tomorrow. It's just pure sort of non-local presence. And then we develop sort of an obsession with the past and the future as we go from an infant to toddler to school-age child to adolescent. And we all know that adolescents are very preoccupied with the past in maladaptive ways that lead to shame and regret. And then obsessed also with thoughts of the future. What's going to happen? Am I going to get into college? And you know, it brings fear and, and anxiety. That's sort of a state of mind for many adolescents. And uh, I think teaching mindfulness and presence practice to adolescents is, is a very important directive. In fact, I'm uh, doing another Gain Without Pain book with a wonderful teenager who teaches mindfulness to young kids. So that will be Gain Without Pain, the Happiness Handbook for Teenagers. And, and I will purchase one and, and read it to Noah in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> Great. 
All right. Well, you're my first sale. Fantastic. Actually, he'll be able to read by then. I take that back. <laughs> okay. So I love everything. I love the work that you're doing. Um, it's amazing. Okay. So let's get into what you wanted to talk about, you know, with what's going on with the working from home and it's all one. Um, what do you think is the impact of burnout on remote workers and their families? And how can remote workers balance both work and home responsibilities? Sure. Well, first of all, what is burnout? Burnout, very simply, is a state of physical and emotional exhaustion, which comes from stress. And we talk about adaptive thinking and maladaptive thinking. Acute stress may be adaptive. So if Noah fell into the swimming pool and didn't know how to swim, your adrenaline level would skyrocket and so would your serum cortisol level. And those are adaptive because it would help you quickly react and jump in the pool and get Noah out before any harm came to him. But on the other hand, those elevations in adrenaline and cortisol, they need to come back down to normal. So your ability to adapt depends on your ability to bring those hormones back down to their normal level. And if you don't, and if days and weeks and months go by and your adrenaline and cortisol levels remain elevated, that's called chronic stress. And that's a situation that maybe even most of us feel nowadays with COVID. So we do have this chronic stress, even unrelated to working at home. I think that we all share this common pain and suffering and to some degree an obsession with the future. What's going to happen? When is this pandemic going to be over? When will we have a vaccine? Will people take the vaccine? Will it do what we hope it will do? So there is a lot of understandable obsession and clinging to thought of the future right now. And that, and that brings anxiety and stress. And so I think we all have some elevation in our adrenaline and cortisol levels, for example, in our blood sugar. And these things are stressful to our cardiovascular system, to our heart, to our immune system. And they even cause changes in our physiology that are akin to aging. For example, we have these little structures called telomeres at the end of our chromosomes. And they're sort of like those little plastic tips of our shoelaces that protect the shoelace ends from being frayed. So we know that as we age, our telomeres get shorter. And when we have stress and it becomes chronic, our telomeres get shorter, even if we're young. So we need to recognize this process and then how do we transcend it or reverse it? So working from home, besides the ambient COVID-related stress that we all have, is an added layer of stress for many people because they don't have a schedule. And so their work hours just sort of blend into their family time and their sleep time and their meal time. And so I think it's really important to maintain a schedule. Good sleep hygiene means that we have a bedtime and a time that we get up every day. Uh, even if we don't have to get dressed and go to work. So I think we should have a regular bedtime, a regular wake time. Other elements of sleep hygiene involve no screen activity while we're on or in our bed. Our bed is for two things, and neither of them involve a computer screen or 
our cell phones. So, you know, there are lots of things written about sleep hygiene, but I think in terms of being at home all the time, we should have a schedule, a sleep time, a wake time, a meal time, time to work, and time to be with our family and put work away. And, you know, it's not that difficult, but, you know, it does require the I and gain, which is intention. And, um, you know, I think it's particularly difficult for people like you probably who have kids at home who might otherwise be in preschool or, or school and maybe they're doing distance learning and it's difficult for them, especially at, at Noah's age and, and several years older even. So there are a lot of challenges and, and there's no magic bullet for all of them. But we can start by adhering to certain principles like having a schedule, focusing on our sleep, exercise, and nutrition. You know, we have anxiety. It interferes with our sleep. The lack of a schedule interferes with our sleep. We're tired. We reach for sugary and fatty comfort foods that give us a boost of energy very temporarily. Pretty soon we're gaining weight and we're, our diet is just all over the place. So let's get back to basics and focus on our sleep, daily exercise, power walks, whatever works. There's lots of opportunities and focus on our nutrition. Those are kind of the, the, the three things constituting a tripod that gives us a base from which we can work on our thought processes, for example. And it's very empowering for people to know that even though you're in this time period, you can still sleep, you can still eat healthy, and you can still exercise. Absolutely. Because I feel like so many people are in victim mode, um, which is not healthy. You know, I say go from victim mode to thriving mode in any situation. Victim mode is not good for us emotionally, spiritually, physically at all. And to tell somebody you have the ability to eat healthy, I feel like there's going to be a, I thought there was going to be a visual aid. Okay. Just turning on the light. The sun is going down here in California, isn't it? What'd you say? The sun is setting in California. Yes, it did just get dark out. Um, yeah, I mean, people, I feel like a lot of people are feeling like they're victims, they're depressed, life is not very good right now, it's out of their control, but control's an illusion anyway. Yes. And to tell somebody, this is what I've been telling people, just go and buy a package of spinach. I don't care. Don't, don't even cook it. Just put it in your mouth and eat it three times a day and you will see your life change. And then just start getting your steps in. But it is life changing and people don't realize that they have access to these ways to increase their happiness. And they're very fundamental, right? I mean, these are not complicated principles, but right. they do require intention. and. Yeah. That's why setting our intention is so important. You know, we can actually set our intention to change the way we think and, and sort of transcend our negativity bias and think in a more positive way. And a great example of that is a program at Duke University called Three Good Things. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but basically what they've shown these researchers um, is that simply by thinking of three good things that happen during the day before we go to sleep, we sleep better, and we become happier. And once we recognize that just by shifting our mindset toward a more positive way of thinking, we can be happier people, it sort of is self 
propagating. And, you know, these things, we need to pay attention to those little hits of dopamine that doing good things get us, being grateful, setting our intention, dropping judgments of others, and then with probably greater difficulty ourselves. But these things give us little hits of the sort of feel-good chemicals in our body. And we need to pay attention to that and move in the direction of things that make us feel good. So we could just start with the three good things practice at night. And I know that tonight, you know, I'll think, well, I had it was a beautiful day here at Stanford. Uh, I got a lot accomplished. I was too busy to exercise so far, but I'll do that when we get off. And I'll think of the wonderful conversation you and I are having, Jamie. And I'll think of that before I go to bed. And this will refocus my thoughts from sort of a negativistic thing about what went wrong today mm -hmm. to a more positive way of being focused on what I have instead of what I don't have and what's positive rather than what's negative. And again, simple principles, but we need to practice. There is literally a product called the Three Minute Journal, and you can go on Amazon and buy it, and it sounds very similar to, to what you're talking about. So you can actually you can keep yourself accountable to yourself by actually purchasing a little book of this, and you could write it down before you go to sleep, if one yeah. chooses to do that. A another great idea. Okay, so let's see what else we can talk about. Um, what about um, how do parents working remotely navigate work and caring for their child while schools are closed? Which we kind of went into a little bit, um, but maybe if you want to be more specific. Well, I think the sleep, exercise, and nutrition, not just, you know, the, the parents have to do that first, and then they can help their children do that. It's kind of like when you're on the getting the intro on a flight and yeah. they're describing that if there's a change in cabin pressure, the oxygen mask will drop down and put yours on first before you then are able to help someone sitting next to you who's either a child or somebody acting like a child. Yes. So you need to take care of yourself and then take care of your children. And one thing you can do is, again, have a schedule, focus on your sleep, exercise, and nutrition. And the best thing we can do for our kids is just be present and calm ourselves because as you know well, our kids look at us and if we're feeling anxious, they sense that something's wrong and then they feel anxious. So again, I think it's can be very difficult having kids at home right now, um, struggling with remote learning. Um, you have a child with ADHD who has a special difficulty paying attention to a computer screen Obviously, there's no magic bullet for that, but at least we can do the other foundational things like focusing on our sleep, exercise, nutrition, having a schedule, and being present with our kids and reassuring to them. And just loving them. You know, because that's what that's really what they need. They need those hugs and and I love that you're saying present because it could be very detrimental to a child. You might physically be there, but that's not enough. You have to really be there, all of you. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, we can't we can't just be physically present. We need to be present in in every aspect of the word as well as you said. It's really cute. Sometimes Noah will say, "Mama, he wants to show me something on the screen. Look at the screen. Are you looking? Are you looking? <laughs> like you, you know and." <laughs> 
Of course, I want to. I don't, I mean, I'm learning so much about dinosaurs and, and the universe, you know, the planets and stuff. So, I mean, I know about when I studied the universe, but it's different than now I'm learning more about Jupiter and Mars, which is great. Well, so, you know, our kids keep us in check. So oh your God. child keeps you present, you know, when you're yeah. together. And, and it's not as though you're going to be fully present 100% of the time. And of course, we get aggravated and we shouldn't be too hard on ourselves in terms of self-judgment. But on the other hand, kids are so magical. And if we just sort of look at them and appreciate their magic, mm-hmm. they can teach us a lot. I love that you work with kids. That's your main, your main population, right? Absolutely. Yes. I work with adults who have congenital heart disease as well, since I focus on cardiac issues. But yes, I, I work primarily with children, a lot of infants, newborns, and their families. And it's extremely gratifying to me to work with families. And in many cases, especially in my intensive care practice, there are cases that are very difficult and the outcomes are not going to be good. And sometimes all I can really do is be present with the family. So kind of check my past and future obsessions at the door and enter the room after taking a breath and just be present with the parents. It's remarkable how much that does to put them at ease as well and how much they appreciate it. Mm. Yes. Yeah. It's because there's such a beautiful energy in just being present. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. How can people buy your book? What's your website? Plug away. Uh, Well, my website is greghammermd.com, G-R-E-G-H-A-M-M-E-R-M-D.com, lowercase, no punctuation. And uh, as you and I were discussing before we came on the program, I don't really look at my website, but there's a lot of links to media there. So okay. this interview will be on there at some point as 50 or so past interviews and a lot of other insights and a link to the book on Amazon, or they can go, your uh, your audience can go to Amazon and just search Gain Without Pain, Greg Hammer, and they'll find the book that way as well. And I, I think that Although it is specifically targeting healthcare workers, I think 95% of the book applies to all of us. And I was going to say that as I was reading the intro. Absolutely. And everything that we're saying on the show, literally anybody and everybody could benefit from. And as always, anybody who's watching, you can contact me at therelationshipexpert.com. Dr. Greg Hammer, thank you so much for joining us today. You are an incredible human being and doctor, and um, you've been doing some amazing work. I know you're going to continue to do some amazing and extraordinary things ahead. We're not thinking about the future, we're present, but I just know that. We can think about the future in adaptive ways. Well, that's very adaptive. That's we can good. look forward to good, meaningful times ahead. It's positive, yes. But thank you for having me, Jamie. Um, I'd be happy to join you again anytime you'd like. Yeah, maybe sometime when we're back in the actual studio in Sherman Oaks, you can just pop on down to L.A. sometime. We'd love it. Okay, great. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a wonderful evening, and everybody at home, have a great evening. Join us every week on L.A. Talk Radio, Love Talk Live. Thanks so much, everyone.
You're listening to Love Talk Live with the relationship expert, Jamie Bronstein, only on LA Talk Radio. <laughs> 